We are beginning a new series entitled Supernatural Rediscovering Our Spiritual World. Uh, there is more going on in life than just what we see. Uh, while we are very much an empirical society, you know, we define reality by what we can see and touch and hear. Uh, there's not always a whole lot of room for the spiritual in our cultural worldview, but there are spiritual forces at work in our world, there are spiritual realities that impact our lives. There are things that we cannot see and touch and hear that affect us. And we often overlook these things. And so for the month of August, uh, we want to raise our awareness of the spiritual realm. And in this series, we are going to unpack what the Bible has to say about things like miracles and angels and the devil and heaven and hell. Um, this morning, we are just going to kind of use this morning to raise our general, general awareness of what is happening on the spiritual realm. We just want to be more aware of that. And so if you have your Bibles, please turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Um, as we do this, as we unpack this whole um, series, Supernatural, we want to have the right mindset. Because when we talk about angels and miracles and the devil and heaven and hell, uh, it's easy to become overly focused on those things because they can just, they captivate us. And we become overly focused on those things and we forget about two major things, you know, God and Jesus. You know, as we talk about angels and the devil and all the other stuff, let's not forget about God and Jesus, okay? That, um, uh, remember, in the spiritual forces at work in our world, in everything that happens, God is behind the scenes, working out all things for our good. And Jesus remains throughout all of, throughout everything, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Our scripture reader for this morning is Carol Hill. And so Carol, if you can make your way on up to the podium. As she does, I'm going to ask if you're able to please stand and face the center of the room. And we read from the center of the room to remind us that scripture is to be central in our lives. And we stand because we believe this is the word of God. And so Carol, whenever you're ready, please read from Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Carol, thank you very much. You may be seated. Um, just a little confession. I really like conspiracy theories. 
I'm, I'm really fascinated by them. Now, I, I don't really like conspiracy theories because I believe them. I want to be clear about that. I don't. Um, I'm pretty straightforward when it comes to that kind of stuff. I believe that Oswald is the one who killed Kennedy. Um, I do believe we landed on the moon. That actually happened. And I do not think there are alien bodies in Area 51. I just don't. But conspiracy theories, they are captivating, are they not? I just... I just love them. You know, even if I have, I don't think there's any credibility in them, I still really love to learn about them. You know, like Hitler didn't commit suicide in a German bunker, but he actually escaped to Argentina. You know, that's just, what a great possibility. Um, uh, Al-Qaeda wasn't behind 9-11, but members of the U.S. government were. And then almost any famous person that died from Marilyn Monroe to Princess Diana to Michael Jackson, there's always a sinister plot behind their death. It's like it goes without fail. Um, and there are conspiracy theories about everything, it seems. Um, some of the more interesting ones that I at least think are more interesting, did you know that the Denver airport is satanic? Did you know that? Now, some of you have had a bad experience there. You'd be like, yeah, that's easy to believe. But come on, that's a little, that's a little rough to go that far. Did you know about chemtrails? Uh, chemtrails, the condensation trails in the sky that airplanes leave. Government, the government puts chemicals in those trails to control the weather. Did you know that? Um, did you know that thousands of years ago, reptilian aliens who could shapeshift, they came to earth, and they have living descendants to this day. That includes the Bush family and the British royal family. Did you know that? Um, Netflix has a series called Conspiracy, where you can go through various episodes of different conspiracy theories, from conspiracy theories about Hollywood, or the Catholic Church, or Nazis, or NASA, or the royal family. Um, this whole coin shortage thing, is super ripe for conspiracy theories. It's so much fun, because what is going on? It is so strange. It's hard to tell exactly what the truth is. Is there really a coin shortage? Um, or is this a plot to destabilize our country even more? Or does someone just really hate the penny and is trying to get rid of it? What is going on here? Um, all I know is that wherever I go, I try to make sure that I have four pennies, three quarters, two nickels, and a dime. Because then I will always have whatever exact change I need. Um, and if there is a coin shortage, I'm a little concerned that that 99 cents in my pocket might get me mugged because people need coins, I guess. Um, Conspiracy theories are attractive because of the sense that there's something more going on than meets the eye. There has to be something more happening here. And we are spiritual beings. We have this connection to the spiritual. And so, therefore, we all have this innate sense that there is more going on than what we can see. It's part of being spiritual beings. And in the passage this morning, in verses uh, 10 to 12, Paul describes this battle behind the scenes that's happening. And I'm not advocating conspiracy theories in the sense of, of some of the things I've already mentioned, but I do want to affirm that because of the spiritual aspect of our human nature, that there is something going on that we can't see. And Paul affirms this in Ephesians 6, that there is more happening than what meets the eye. If you look back in the passage at verses um, 10 to 12, 
where it says things like, you know, it mentions the Lord and the devil and the devil's schemes and powers of this dark world um, and the spiritual forces of evil. We, we don't talk like that. You know, where in our culture do we talk like that? Our world is a world of economics and education and science and politics and technology. And while conflicts are normal, um, we are familiar with things like military battles and political battles and economic battles. Um, but Paul is talking about here something we're not as familiar with, a spiritual battle. And so as we strive to live out uh, our faith in Jesus and follow Jesus, there's this active opposition, resistance that is going on against us. Colossians 1.13 says, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. There's this dominion of darkness, kingdom of the son, and those who follow Jesus are part of Jesus' kingdom, and then there's this dominion of darkness against it. And opposition to our faith, it takes the form of everyday occurrences. And I have two general categories I just want to point out to you of how this works, okay? The first category of everyday experiences that opposition to our faith takes is when we suffer, when things don't go as planned. Now, how many times a week do things not go as you have them planned? How often does that happen to you? Like all the time. And then think back on your life. As you think back on your life, how many times has your life not gone exactly as planned? That's one form opposition takes. Another category of opposition is when we get distracted by the allure of the world. The world promises lots of things, and not all of them are bad. But the pursuit of worldly success, well, when we do that, faith can become less important. And how many times a week do we get distracted by our pursuit of worldly success? How often does that happen? Like every day? And then just think back on your life. How many times have you made life decisions based upon your pursuit of worldly success at the cost of your faith? Now, let me just go back to the first category for a second, suffering, things not going as planned. When that happens, how do we usually react? We get angry, we complain, we get fearful, um, we get into political power struggles to stand up for our rights, and I'm not necessarily speaking against any of those things, but Paul gives a different set of instructions of when the power institutions of our day seem to be against us, or when they are encouraging us to follow worldly pursuits. Understand, Paul says, we are not struggling against flesh and blood, but something behind the scenes. And Paul gives us instructions of how do we respond to those things happening behind the scenes. And in verse 13, Paul says, well, the goal is to stand our ground. When opposition to our faith comes our way in whatever form it takes, Paul just simply says, we need to stand our ground. If you look at verse 13 of the passage where it says, you know, stand your ground. And then after you've done everything, to stand. And then in verse 14, it begins by saying, stand firm then. 
he goes on to mention something called the day of evil. And there are a couple of things that the day of evil could be referencing. But whatever it may be referencing, the day of evil just doesn't sound like a good time. Okay, it's probably not a good time. But even in the day of evil, Paul expects the believers to stand. And this was written in the time of the Roman Empire when the majority of Christians had no legal rights, no political power, no social standing. And yet Paul expects them to be able to withstand any opposition from the rulers, from the authorities, from different powers. And Romans 8:38 says, "For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord." Paul knew that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And since nothing can separate us from the love of God, we can withstand anything. But if we are going to stand and not fall, we need to keep our balance. We need to keep our balance if we're going to stand and not fall. And Paul uses this metaphor of armor. And armor, as you all know, does not prevent attacks, okay? Just because you wear armor doesn't mean you're not going to get attacked. No, armor allows you to withstand the attacks and stand your ground. And this is a spiritual battle. And economics and politics and education and technology is not key to this battle. We must fight it on spiritual grounds. And Paul gives some really strategic points. And he really thinks through this metaphor. It's not just a happenstance thing that he throws together. He really thinks this through because the strategic keys to each one of these pieces is vital to make this work. If we are going to stand, we need to keep our balance. And in verses 14 and 18, he gives a list of what those things are. And he uses this whole idea of armor as a metaphor for it. And I just want to walk through these things relatively briefly um, of, of the armor, beginning with the belt of truth. Truth, a reference to deep inner faith. Now, the truth of the gospel is definitely suggested here, but it's more of a reference to us being true. You know, Jesus once told a parable about seed that fell among the thorns, and the plant grew, but the thorns choked the life out of it. Well, likewise, the worries of this life can choke out our faith. The depth of our faith, how true our faith is, is what holds us together when other worries come our way. In our last series, Go Big and Go, go Big or Go Home, uh, for me, you know, we listed four different things. And for me, if you just do one of the four Go Big or Go Home challenges, whether it's sharing your secrets and being held accountable or waking up early and spending time with God or writing the big check when you invest in someone or downsizing to make room for faith, those are the kinds of things that give depth to our faith. And it would be a big deal if you did even just one of those. But Paul connects truth with the belt. Well, belts, they hold things together. In our time, they hold things up. A deep inner faith will hold us 
up. It will allow us to keep our balance. You know, some of you know people that when it comes to sports, there are some fans that are just over the top dedicated to their teams, almost like this bizarre devotion. It's kind of hard to understand. These people are weird, right? Um, Their team can win it all or their team can take last and they remain true to their team. And true fans, they take the lumps of the ups and downs of their teams winning and losing versus fans who just root for teams that are doing good in the moment. We call them bandwagon fans. There's no real loyalty behind them. Um, The belt of truth is a depth of faith that's hard to understand. And when the opposition comes, we don't waver because we are true to what we know is right, the truth of Jesus. And in the face of opposition, it allows us to keep our balance and stand. He talks about the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness, simply a reference to upright character. For me, the simplest definition of righteousness is living in right relationship. Righteousness is living in right relationship with God. It's living in right relationship with one another. And Paul uses the analogy of a breastplate because they protect the most vital part of us, our hearts. Because if we don't live in right relationship, it leaves this gaping hole for attacks to land a death blow. You know, the most obvious, obvious example of this is scandals in the church, right? They're cliche now, whether they're in the Protestant church or in the Catholic church, but it involves church leaders with something financial or sexual or abusive, even stories of pastors just being bullies with those under their care. And the damage that that has done over and over and over again, it leaves the heart of our faith wide open for just a death blow. And few things have damaged the church more than lack of righteousness. But the breastplate of righteousness is designed to protect us from attacks. And so in the face of of opposition, how we have lived in right relationship protects us and allows us to keep our balance and stand. Paul talks about feet fitted for readiness because of the gospel of peace. And peace is simply the deep sense that everything is gonna be okay. Everything is gonna be okay. Feet fitted with the gospel of peace. Now the gospel of peace doesn't mean we will never have trouble. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. Now sometimes the Bible is hard to understand. But this is not one of those times. When Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, it means you will have trouble in this world. It's gonna happen. But Jesus reminds his disciples, take heart, for I have overcome the world. It's going to be okay. Jesus gives us peace with God. And that peace with God overflows into our entire lives. And peace with God is foundational. And people who have that sense of peace are not easily riled. Feet fitted with readiness from the gospel of peace and in the face of opposition, that will allow us to keep our balance and stand. 
He talks about the shield of faith. Faith is simply trust in God. And this passage talks about flaming arrows of the evil one, and that doesn't sound good. And those arrows represent that which cause us to doubt. Now, a common misconception about believing in Jesus is you should never, ever, ever ask questions. Just believe. Don't ask questions. Just believe. It's a common misconception. We treat questions as enemies of the faith. Questions are not enemies of the faith. They are our friends. I just ask that if you have a really hard question, just take that to Pastor John, okay? That would make my life a lot easier. He loves that kind of stuff, okay? Um, When Jesus was a boy, it was said that the teachers of the law were amazed by his questions. Jesus asked amazing questions. And Jesus's most famous question didn't come when he was a boy. It came when he was on the cross, when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In Jesus's ultimate act of obedience, he asked a why question. You know, in the last couple of years, I don't know how much you follow this kind of stuff. I follow it fairly closely. There have been some high profile Christian leaders that have renounced their faith. They had some questions of the faith that they couldn't answer, and they finally just kind of gave up. Now, I've read the articles that talk about that, because when Christian leaders renounce the faith, that makes the news, okay? And so I read the articles, and I read about some of the things that they were wrestling with. And I'll be honest, the questions they were asking weren't that complicated. (laughs) They weren't that deep. They are things I wrestle with all the time. I didn't think that their questions were that big of a deal. And they were certainly no reason for them to leave their faith. Apparently, they were leaders in the ministry and never asked some really simple questions. Faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is moving forward in the presence of it. Faith is a shield that allows you to keep your ground when arrows of doubt are shot at you. And they're going to come all the time. You know, something interesting about the Roman shield in the time of Paul is that it was rectangular like a door, and it was kind of curved in on the edges. And the shields obviously were used for individual protection, but I just want you to look at this picture because there was another way that they used these shields. Um, they would actually form a group like that and use their shields to protect all of them at once. You see, when you have fellow soldiers with you, their shields are used together to protect all of them. Faith is not something that we live out alone. We do faith together. And sometimes we need the faith of each other to encourage us in our doubts. That's normal. That's how it's supposed to work. And in the face of opposition, faith allows us to keep our balance and stand. The helmet of salvation. And for me, the point of what we need to focus on when it comes to our salvation is to remember the future is on our side. As I said last week, the gospel changes our futures. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, our sin will not be held against us, Sin no longer rules over us. God is developing in us a heart like God's. 
We are friends with Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit is becoming our character. And there is no scheme that the evil one can come up with to change any of that. Create bumps in the road? Well, yeah. But not even death can stop what God is doing in us. Because in the end, after death, we will be resurrected to a new heaven and a new earth, a place where love for God and for neighbor will rule the day. That is our salvation. And Paul compares it to a helmet. Helmet goes on the head. And when our inevitable future, the future being in our favor, when that is on in our thoughts and on our minds, in the face of opposition, our salvation can help us keep our balance and stand. The sword of the Spirit, Paul says, is the Word of God. And the Word of God guides our steps. The sword is more of an offensive weapon than a defensive weapon. You use it to ward off your attacker or to attack. But you will also need a sword just simply to be able to move forward in the face of opposition. And the Bible describes God's Word as sharper than a two-edged sword. And the Bible also compares God's Word to light. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. And if we're going to stand, we need to know what the ground in front of us looks like so we can navigate what path to take. And as others have pointed out to me, a lamp only illuminates the ground right before you. It really isn't great for seeing what's too far down the road, but it does a really good job of seeing what is immediately in front of you, which is really all we need if we want to stay on solid ground. It can show us where we need to go. It can show us what we need to do. And in the face of opposition, the Word of God allows us to keep our balance and stand. And Paul talks about prayer, and while he doesn't include it in his armor of God metaphor... It's a key piece in keeping our balance where we are to pray on all kinds of occasions with all kinds of requests and praying for all the Lord's people, the passage says. And if you look at the second half of verse 18, it says this. It says, um, be alert and always keep on praying. Be alert and pray. And Jesus, interestingly enough, he says something similar in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26 where he says, watch and pray, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. There's a connection between staying alert and watching and prayer as if by praying we are kept alert, which actually makes sense. Because when we pray, we are made mindful of things. We are either, A, made mindful of what the opposition is looking like. For example, anytime we pray for someone's health, someone facing serious sickness, whether it's cancer or heart attacks or strokes, while those kinds of things challenge our faith. And when we pray for them, well, we're made mindful of that which is challenging us. But we are also mindful to watch and see what God does. How is God going to answer this prayer? And so we become watchful. We want to know what happens. And we pray because Jesus says, the flesh is weak. 
You know, our spirits may say, you know, we can withstand anything the enemy has for us. But without prayer, um, that's pretty unlikely. In the face of opposition, prayer enables us to keep our balance and stand. Now, I don't know what form opposition to your faith looks like, but they happen every day in everyday forms, and there are spiritual powers behind them. And how well are we at standing our ground? What do we need to keep our balance? Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, the Word of God, prayer. Again, economics, politics, technology doesn't help us here. I want us to spend some time on that last one, prayer. We want to raise our awareness of what is happening behind the scenes. Prayer is going to help us do that. And so I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And during that time, I'm going to give us a moment of silence to reflect on which piece of armor needs the most attention for you. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, word of God, prayer. Each one of these play a strategic role. And which piece do you need to focus the most attention on right now? So please pray with me. Lord, we come before you this morning, and many of us are not fully aware of the battle going on for our souls. It's easy for us to become discouraged in our faith. It's easy for us to become distracted from our faith. And Lord, we want to be followers of Jesus who are able to withstand the opposition from the dominion of darkness. But as Jesus said, Our spirits are willing, but our flesh is weak. And so, Lord, empower us in this moment. And as the list from Ephesians 6 is on the screen in front of us, help us identify what piece of armor we need to put on to be able to keep our balance. Lord, for the rest of this week, keep that in front of us. Help us not forget. Keep us aware. Help us to continue to watch. Give us the wisdom and power to put on whatever piece of armor we need so that we can stand for you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You know, I'm sure you've seen this too, but I've seen people whose lives have just fallen apart All kinds of tragedy strikes them. And they are relatively unmoved. They are not shaken. And when we see this, we ask ourselves, how do they do that? And I've seen people have opportunities come their way, great worldly opportunities that would distract them from their faith, and they turn them down. And we ask the same thing. Why did they do that? How did they do that? And then likewise, I've seen people experience even just a little bit of tragedy. And their faith is completely rocked. And we ask ourselves, what happened to them? 
Or we've seen people jump at the first chance to abandon um, the priorities of their faith because of this great worldly opportunity. And we ask, what happened to them? It's all about the armor of God. It allows one to keep their balance and stand. And if you don't have it, well, then you don't have anything to help you keep your balance. Look, more opposition is coming, not less. And in this world, you will have trouble. And there will be temptation to get distracted. The battle between the two spiritual kingdoms is unavoidable. But let's not forget that this is God's battle to win. And he is faithful to us. He has given us his armor. He has given us his spirit. And God is sovereign, which means God is in control of what is happening in front of us and behind the scenes. This is God's battle to win. And so let's put on whatever piece of armor we need and stand. Please pray with me. And Lord, we do thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. And we once again ask that you would keep us alert, make us aware, and remember that you are sovereign, you are in control, you are working behind the scene in all things for our good. And so, Lord, give us eyes to see that which we normally do not. And Lord, continue to encourage us in the faith and give us what, <laughs> enable us to put on whatever piece of armor we may need this week. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Receive God's blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And may the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.